Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is uh, What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that all of us content creators have been playing recently. And on this episode are... The Tabletop Bellhop. Definitely a board game podcast. Borden Game with Andrew B. The Meeple Dungeon. Dice and Dragons. Mozart Games. And Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, remember to check out the show notes for the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And have fun and enjoy. Welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. You can find me at tabletopbellhop.com and all over the internet and social media as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me to answer, send that to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or visit the webpage and click on Ask the Bellhop. Now, of course, the question I'm answering today is, what you've been playing this past week? Well, this last week, I got in plays of five different games, three off my pile of shame, so new-to-me games, and two off my pile of obligation, which also happened to be new-to-me games. Now, let's start with the first pile of obligation game. That was Hidden Games, Crime Scene, The Maple Brook Case. This is a murder mystery game out of Germany that just got localized to Canada and many other countries just this year. Now, I'm going to be reviewing this on our live show tonight, so I don't want to spoil too much, and I don't want to spoil anything about the game, because this is a murder mystery. So what I will say here is this is by far the most impressive murder mystery game we've played. It's extremely well done, with very high-quality evidence, and the game goes beyond the large cardboard manila envelope it comes in in very cool and interesting ways. That said, it does expect you to have certain things to be able to play it fully, like free long-distance calling or paying for long-distance, internet access, and things like a Facebook account. Now join me tonight on Twitch or catch episode 146 of our podcast, After the Fact, for more information on this deduction game. And that was Hidden Games, Crime Scene, The Maple Brook Case. Next up, I finally got Irish Gage off my pile of shame. This is a game I got for my birthday back in January that I mainly haven't played due to the fact it requires a minimum of three players, and neither of my kids are really ready to divide into economic train games yet. Now, my version of Irish Gage is the newer version from Capstone Games, which is part of their Iron Rails series. It reprints the Winsome Classic with updated e O'Toole artwork and better components. Now, this is a cube rail game that features rope building, stock auctions, and the paying of dividends that you'd expect in a heavy train game except that the rules are one double-sided page and the game plays in under an hour. 
Now, I've only played it once so far, but I was blown away by the amount of depth in this game for something that quick to learn and fast to play. This may just beat out Chicago Express as my go-to gateway to heavier train games. Speaking of train games, my next game is Yardmaster. Now, I broke this out on the same day we played Irish Gage. I guess I was going for a theme that game night. Now, I picked up a copy of this game after, from a friend after playing Yardmaster Express and really digging Yardmaster Express. That had me seek out Yardmaster and reading up on the full game, and I thought the full game sounded even better. And I'm happy to report it was. This is a really solid, easy-to-learn, chain-based card game where you're trying to add to your growing cargo train by adding cargo cards where the trick is that any car added has to be either the same number or the same color as the car before it. Now, there are five different colors of cars, numbered one through four, with four ones, three twos, down to one four. Now, cards are bought using resource cards in a very ticket-to-ride feeling way, where you discard a number of matching cards of the right color equal to the number of the car you want to buy and add to your train. There's also a whole system where you can store cards in your rail yard and add them later, which can lead to some really uh, rewarding combos coming out during play. Yardmaster was a big hit with my extended family, and so far we found has played great at a variety of different player counts. Um, I've tried it at two, um, four, and three, and enjoyed it at all those counts. And I am so glad I finally got this off the pile of shame, and I am very glad to add it into my collection and look forward to playing this one more, especially once we can get out to public play events. I think this one's really going to shine with five players. Next up, I tried out Gloomy Graves for the first time. Now, I picked this one up off a local gamer, a different local gamer, who was purging her collection and honestly had no idea what to expect when I opened the box. Thankfully, the rulebook was short and I was able to sit down and learn the game as my wife was sorting through the domino-style cards. Now, this is a game about being a gravekeeper in a fantasy world where there's infinite battles going on between the fantasy races like unicorns, dragons, and pixies, and more. It features domino-like cards that each show two different types of graves on most of them, with some cards also featuring a grave and a grave, grave keeper instead of two different monster graves. Now, each turn you're going to add a card to your personal grave plot, which grows to be no bigger than 3x3. Three three. You then add another card to the central shared plot. Now, when adding to your plot, the only rule is they can't be bigger than 3x3, three three, and you can't cover a gravekeeper. Once you get to the shared plot, you still can't cover a gravekeeper, but every new card must cover up one existing grave, while the other side of the card must go into an empty slot, thus making the central plot bigger after every player's play. Now, after playing your two cards, you can then choose to score one of the five monster types. You do this by counting how many um, graves of that type are connected, both in your personal plot and the communal plot, with gravediggers counting as wild. Now, once you've added those up, you can take point cards for 8, 10, 12, and 15 graves of the same type together. Now, the trick is you can only score each type of grave once, each of the five monster types once for the entire game. The game either ends when there are one player has scored all five types or you've gone through the entire deck once. We've found this game to be rather enjoyable and deeper, huh, get it, than you would think. Um, the way cards overlap makes things really interesting, the way the graves grow, um, cut, being cutthroat and cutting off your neighbors, and especially once you've each scored a few different monster types, you know what the other players are going for. It was a lot more cutthroat than I thought. Now, at this point, I've only tried this one two-player. I think this is going to shine with even more players, and that was Gloomy Graves. Finally, a brand-new-to-me game off the pile of obligation. 
This is a prototype of the deck-building, educational, historic war game, The Red Bernouse, Algeria, 1857. This one comes from Hit'em With A Shoe Games and does a lot of things I've never seen before in a deck-building game. Now, another thing I appreciate about this game is that you are playing the leaders of Algerian villages, starting with decks that are just filled with standard citizens, like men, women, and children, and using them to build up your decks and forces to defend against the colonizing French, which is a really interesting perspective for board games because most of the time you're playing the colonizers. Now, there are a lot of interesting things going on in this game, which plays like a static market deck builder like Dominion, with tr but that's combined with a traditional cube-pushing war game and even features the very traditional D6-based combat results table, or CRT, that you see in a lot of Hex Encounter war games. Now, again, this is another one I'm going to be reviewing on tonight's live show. So if you want to know more about the Red Bernouse, I do encourage you to join me for more that show for more information on this new deck builder. And that is launching on Kickstarter next week. Now, that's it for the games i played over the past week. Find lots more of my gaming content over at TabletopBellhop.com and on the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which drops Tuesday mornings at 2 a.m. You're also welcome to join us for Sunday Brunch with the Bellhop at 1 p.m. on Twitch on Sundays. This is a newer, unscripted show where Deanna, Sean, and I hang out, interact with our chat room, and talk geekery and gaming. That's it for me. I am Mo Tuzno, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good night and game on. Hey, everybody. This is Royce Calverly. And I am Aaron Millick. See, it's not so easy not to have that pause there, is it? Huh, 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 huh. And we are definitely a board game podcast. Well, you took my line. You jumped in there. It's, uh, well, it's foreign. I want. You always yell at me. You got to go faster. You can't have that pause. You got to respond right away. Now you know, man. Now you know what it's like. We're already fighting. 20 seconds in. So we're here. Who's talking? Wait, 23 is it... seconds. Hello. Hello. Are we on? Is this thing on? Hello. <laughs> Are you, what's happening? Where are we? We are on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Yeah. So what you've been playing Wednesday, Aaron? Uh, I don't know. I haven't been playing. I got to be honest. I haven't been playing a lot of games. You know why? It's summertime. I've been outside. I've been busy. I've been working hard. No, oh, I've been playing lots of games because it's summertime and it's really hot outside. <laughs> you and I, I don't know how we know each other. We're so opposite. Uh, I want to talk about an old game that I know very well, and I've actually played with you. I brought over to you guys, and you actually sure. said you liked it. It was all right. This is an old one from 1998. Paul Peterson, Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro also has their greasy little fingers all over this now. It's called Guillotine. It's a very simple, straightforward game. You put down a, a whole bunch of uh, nobles and bishops and piss boys and all these different people in front of a guillotine. And you have a handful of cards that lets you move certain people closer to the guillotine or away from the guillotine as it gets closer to your turn. Because each person that's going to have their head chopped off is worth a certain amount of points. So you want to make sure you're pushing the people with the bigger points in front and the ones that have lesser points 
on somebody else so they get negative points. You definitely don't want to be chopping off the heads of nuns, for example. That's a bad <laughs> idea. Or the hero of the town, right? Or the damsel in distress. Better to go after the, the king and <laughs> the duke and everybody else. Get them first. This is a very weird game. It is a very weird game. It comes with a little cardboard guillotine, which is cool. And that sits at one end and you have your row of cards and you play three days worth of, of uh, chopping people's heads off. So the theme is uh, right up my alley. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Great little game. Just basically a deck of cards. Lots of fun. If you're looking for something that's a neat in-between filler game, uh, or if you have a sick sense of humor like I do, definitely check out Guillotine. You can find it pretty much anywhere games are sold because, again, Hasbro has their name all over it. What you been playing on Wednesday, Royce? I have been playing... Uh, as opposed to an old game, a brand new game. In fact, it's not even out yet. Uh, it'll be in retail, I think, in October. It's called Rift Force. Rift Force. Uh, yeah, by Carlo Bortolini. Uh, One More Time Games 2021. One October. more time. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry. I'll stop. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Daft Punk for you there. This is a... Um, it, it looks like it might be a Magic the Gathering type game. It looks a little bit like a combat game. In reality, it feels like a more classic Knizia. Um, you are setting out five territories in the middle of the board, and you're fighting over those five territories by sending your elemental creatures out to those territories. And then you're activating your elemental creatures to attack the elemental creatures on the other side. Hmm. What makes it cool is you each will have four, you draft four basically player powers. So you have four separate player powers and everybody's player powers are then are unique. And that's what your creatures will do. So if you have the lightning player power for your guild, then your lightning creatures will use that power. And if you have the fire guild or the water guild or the heavens guild, and then your people will use those various different uh, powers. So the game is in those combination of powers, getting your creatures to work together, activating your creatures at the right time, scoring the points. Really, really neat game, Rift Force. If you want to try it out, if you like Kinesia's games, you want to try something that's like a, a modern twist on the classic Kinesia, highly recommend Rift Force. It sounds like it would be a very pretty game too, is it? It is quite nice, yeah. Um, it doesn't have a lot of art. All of the fire creatures will look the same. All of the heaven creatures, the guild mat leaders, the guilds themselves are really nicely done. Even the creatures are nicely done, but they don't have a lot of variant variation in the art, but the art they do have is quite pretty. Yeah. Cool. And I think you said uh, to me before that, that you can play this one with two players. It is two players only. Yeah. Two players only. There you go. Yeah, it is a two-player game. Yeah. Guillotine, you could play with two players, but eh, probably not. Better no, if you have it's more. more of a mini-player game. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So if you're looking for a really cool two-player Reiner Knizia style game, Rift Force, and if you're sick and twisted, Guillotine. And of course, if you're sick and twisted, you really should come over and listen to our podcast. Definitely a board game podcast. You can find us on Spotify and iTunes podcast, whatever they're called, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, wherever podcasts are, we are. And if you ever want to talk to us, definitely board at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Board Definitely and on Twitter at Board Definitely. And, and we have a guild on Board Game Geek. And really, you'd have a hard time not finding us. We are literally everywhere. And we hope to hear from you.
Yeah, we're way more, we're way better under control here than we are. So everything that sounds crazy here, just imagine what it is when we get our own show. <laughs> exactly. So if you're liking our nonsense here, definitely check us out. Definitely board game podcast. Royce, anything else? Not a thing. Say goodbye, Royce. Goodbye, Royce. Bye, everybody. Hi, this is Andrew Buckle of BoardingGame.com. This week, I'm here to talk about Falling Sky, the Gallic Revolt against Caesar. Falling Sky is designed by Andrew Runke and by Volko Runke. It was first published in 2016 by GMT Games. The map art is from Chichu Nieto, with card encounter and display art from Chichu Nieto and Mark Simonich, and Roger McGowan was the art director and did the package design. Falling Sky is Volume 6 of GMT's coin or counterinsurgency system. It follows on from the fifth volume, Liberty or Death, which I previously talked about in our August 11th episode. As detailed in the playbook, this was the first coin series volume to really look at ancient warfare, and that comes with a lot of changes from the more modern counterinsurgencies discussed. And Falling Sky also marks a bit of a change for the coin series. The first four volumes were about counterinsurgent warfare in the 20th and 21st centuries, but Liberty or Death, which was designed and developed at much of the same time as this, and Falling Sky looked back a little further to the American Revolution in Liberty or Death's case and to the Gallic Wars of the first century BC in the case of Falling Sky. This one is also interesting because Volko Runke was the designer of the first coin game and the co-designer of free, the next free. And in this case, he did this one with his son, Andrew, who is really the subject matter expert on the ancient Roman wars involved here. So it's a really interesting pairing of a system that wasn't initially designed to do this, initially designed to look at ancients, but one that actually wound up fitting this particular conflict quite well, and particularly the interfactional dynamics between the different sides. So, who are the sides? Well, you've got the Romans, led by Julius Caesar. You have the Adui tribe, which are a tribe that worked rather closely with the Romans, that was very involved with trade, and was very important to supplying the Roman legions as they marched across Gaul. Then you have the Arverni tribe, who were the main rebels against Rome, and they are led by Vercingetorix, who is just the noted noted uh, tribal chief of this era. And they're really out to get Rome. They're out to destroy a certain number of legions, as well as advancing their own influence. Meanwhile, the Aedui want to help the Romans here and there, but they really just want their influence and the tribes that they're allied with to be the top. And then there are the Belgae, who are another tribe generally sort of opposed to Rome, but with a little bit of a different approach. They're closer to the Germans, the fifth non-player faction, than anyone else and can sometimes take more advantage of their abilities. The Belgae are also very good militarily, especially when they're led by their particular chieftain, Ambiorix. 
And that's the thing that's uh, quite cool about this game in particular, is that it really represents leader abilities in a way many of the earlier coin volumes did not. And a lot of your commands only work or only work well when they're in the space of your leader or adjacent to them. Like most of the coin series, this game is driven by cards, and you can always see the card that's currently available and then the card that's coming up next. Each card will have the four factions across the top in order of priority to act on that card. And when you do act on a card, you're generally ineligible for the next card. So there's some really interesting timing that goes into this, where maybe you might want to pass on something that could be good for you in order to make sure that you can grab the event that could be even better for you on the next card. That timing and the various moments where factions want to help or hinder each other is found in much of the coin series, but there are a couple of things in Falling Sky that really stand out. One is the fifth faction, the Germans, who are a non-player faction in the base game. But they act in a relatively predictable way much of the time, especially during the winter phase. And at other times, faction, player factions can take control of them and use them for particular purposes, but they may wind up getting hurt by them in the end. That really is interesting, and it really uh, makes you think about where these troops might go, where you want them to go, and where your enemies don't want them to go. All in all, I think Falling Sky is great, especially if you have A, interest in the coin series, or if you've got any interest in this historical period. It also got me to pull out some of the old Asterix comic books and start rereading those again, which are also a lot of fun, and you can see a lot of that history reflected in this game. The event cards are very thematic, they, there's a lot of very thematic moments and capabilities, and there's a lot that really represents the difficulties of these campaigns, including supply lines and suppressing revolts. So Falling Sky is well worth your time if you're interested in this sort of early Roman warfare. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Buckholz, and you can find more from me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z. And you can also find my board game writing at BoardingGame.com. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week we are going to be talking about two games. What's the first game we're going to talk about, Anna-Marie? The first game is Soul Clover, designed by Francois Romain. And, um... Published by... Sorry about that. Published by Repos Productions. Yes. Uh, yes, Soul Clover. So these, uh, Repos is the same... Uh, publishing company behind just one. Okay, that and, makes sense. Yeah, and this game, yeah. So Clover, uh, I was introduced to this by Aaron from Boards Alive a few weeks ago when I was playing Oath, Oath. with That's him right, and, yeah. uh, and Quinton. And yeah, we found this at the local shop on the weekend and yep. it brought it home and we played a whole bunch of it. So do you want to explain what's going on here? Yeah, I'll try not to butcher it, but uh, <laughs> typically um, you've got just a little board that looks like a clover. A clover, yeah. Yep. So it's a four-leafed <laughs> clover, so it's got four sides to it. Yep, and then you've got um, you've got a bunch of square cards, yes. and there's a hole, a square hole in the middle. 
Yes. And so um, on each side of the card, you've got a word. So there will be four words per card. Mm -hmm. And they're basically raised, um, little raised plastic spot where you can put the hole in the card. Like you put it over top. See, I'm butchering yeah. it already. <laughs> you, you stick them. You stick four of these square cards onto the four different onto your board. sections of your clover. Yeah. You don't look at the cards when you're placing them. You just kind of plop them down yeah. in uh, random order. Yeah. Um, and then, and that's the person whose turn it is does this. Well, yeah. the other people, or I, I guess, do you, you play? You can do this simultaneously, but it doesn't really. Matter. Yeah. And then um, you're basically you're going to have two words connected to one part of the clover. And those two words, you have to think of a word to connect to them in some way, and then you write it on the um, the little part of the clover. And yeah. you do that for each side. So you'll end up with four words, mm -hmm. um, two words connecting one, two words connecting another, yep. so on and so forth. Once you've done that, um, then you add, you take another, you take off all the four pieces of the little squares with the holes in them yeah. that had all the words the on cards, them. You take them off. <laughs> yeah, and cards. You add a fifth card. And so that the uh, the other people playing don't know which card you've added. Mm -hmm. And then you give them the cards and your clover, and they have to try to figure out which two words you combined on each side of your clover to get the word you chose. Yeah, and it's a crazy puzzle. It's Sorry like if that there, was confusing. <laughs> when you're sitting there trying to piece this puzzle back together, it is astonishingly difficult because... Um, like for instance, when the when the words are 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 circling the outside of of your clover, you're gonna have two random cards sitting side by side, and two random words. And like one the other day we were playing, there was rake and surgeon, yes. right? Were two that ended up side by side. Yes. And I came up with a landscaper. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's a rake like surgeon. A rake surgeon. So I wrote <laughs> landscaper. So that's kind of what you're trying to do. So the, the people that are trying to put it back together have to try and figure out how to orient these cards back onto the board in the right order to make those words make With sense. With a random card in there that didn't yeah. exist when you yes. were Yes, so there's one card the that doesn't even on. belong. So they're looking at words that are throwing them off. And then you'll see like there's other words that may be on those cards. Like, for instance, with that game, <laughs> there was broom. And right? in another spot, there was wizard. Yeah, broom and wizard. But so a broom <laughs> wizard could also be a landscaper, I suppose. And like, um, so yeah, it's like a really tricky thing. So you have to sit there and deliberate with your all the people that are playing, except the person that put that one together. Yeah. And come up with, hopefully, the right combination of the words. And then you ask the, the person that, that wrote the, the words down if it's correct. And they'll say yes or no. And if it's not, they'll pull off. The incorrect the cards. Incorrect cards. They might be the correct card, but they might be in the wrong. Yeah, they might be the correct card, but or in, they might be the wrong card or the right altogether. word in the, or wrong, in the spot. wrong spot. Yeah, and it's hilarious. Like <laughs> it's it's so difficult. Um, it's difficult just to come up with the words that can combine right. two random words. Like you could have. Uh, I had like, carpet bug. Yeah, car well, I had carpet and bug. Yeah, so there's like, <laughs> and then what do you say for that, right? Like, yeah. and then it's so it's a really hilarious. Hilarious game. It's very similar to Just One, but quite a bit different enough that I think it's worth having both. Oh, definitely. Um, and this is a game that could be played over Zoom if, if I had a copy and someone in L.A. had a copy and we were playing with them. Yeah. We could kind of play back and forth. So as long as everyone kind of had a copy, I think you could work over Zoom and over long distance pretty easily. I think so. Yeah. So it's really nice that way. Great party game. It's one of the better party games I've played in a long, long time. Actually, probably one of the better ones I've played since... 
Just One, honestly. I, and I love Just One. So, and then because I think this is obviously fairly like it's it's you can tell that it's the same people who who created it, or the oh, same yeah. the same I'm not publishing sure if it's the company. Same, uh, designer Might not, yeah. or not, but um, yeah, it's it's and I love the pun. Like so I hate clover. it and love it at the same time. <laughs> it's such a horrible pun, like so clover. <sighs> I found That's it so was clever. fun because you're trying to like dive into the mind of the person who who wrote the clue. Oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, would would he think that? Like, how would how would he put this together? And then some of them are like perfect, and you're like, okay, I get what he's saying here. I know yeah. this one for sure is right. Yeah. But then you've got three other cards you got to try to put together, and it's yeah, oh, that's what it's not we easy. found. Right? There's usually one corner where you're like, okay, yeah. these two. They There's must no chance be the right these ones. don't yeah. work. So these two, you kind of start from there and you kind of work your way out. Yeah. But if you're wrong there, you're really screwed. Yeah. But it's it's great. It's a fantastic game, and oh, yeah. uh, it plays three to six. Um, we've played just the two of us, just yeah, just, just for fun, just, just for fun, just throwing yep. it back and forth. There's points and stuff that you can win and lose in this game or whatever. We just but played without points. Just seems to, to be yeah, yeah. It, that's here you just Play there. for fun, right? Yeah. You play until you don't want to play anymore. Is kind of the way we play. Yeah. But yeah, no. So so Clover from Repost Production is really great and highly recommended. I wish I could think of a good yeah. pun to finish <laughs> no, off. <but> again. <laughs> it's uh, it's fantastic. So highly recommend that. And the second game we're going to talk about uh, is, well, we're actually out of time. So we did this on purpose, full disclosure. Oh. Um, but uh, we're out of time. But the second game that we've been playing is Furnace from Arcane Wonders, brand new release from them. And we are going to have a full review of Furnace on our podcast, which should be available uh, right after you're done listening to this podcast here. If you head on over to the Meeple Dungeon podcast, you should find our full review on our latest episode of Furnace, the new release from Arcane Wonders. But yeah, we got to run, so we will see you next week. Cheers. See ya. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, and on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And what day is it today, Julie? It's What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. So what have we been playing? Ticket to Ride Amsterdam. And a little bit of Descent, third edition, but we've talked about it a little it's bit. It's not third edition. It's Legends of the Dark. It doesn't play anything like the other editions. Oh, Let's just okay, get that clear. Okay. So anyway, we've been playing Ticket to Ride Amsterdam. Um, this, I have to say, is a little backstory. We we bought this game because uh, I convinced Jason to give Ticket to Ride another chance after Jason had a disastrous first play, first experience with Ticket to Ride with people who had analysis paralysis. It was next level analysis paralysis. The game took almost three hours. That being said, we did have a full player count. But I don't know why the game took that long. It really didn't feel like it should. So it took a while. It's taken probably close to two and a half years to get Ticket to Ride back to the table. But we finally, uh, we brought it uh, brought it to the cottage and played with family. Uh, so I have lots yes. of experience playing Ticket to Ride. And that's why we weren't on last week. It's just a little bit of background. We finally had a vacation. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so we, uh, I've been playing Ticket to Ride for years and years. I played the original and then Europe with friends and I introduced it to my family and uh, my, pa- my family 
family's been playing it for years. Uh, some members of my family, uh, my extended family, uh, groan when they see it coming, but most of them really love it. Uh, so I was really disappointed when Jason said, never, I'm never playing this game, it's horrible. I convinced him to play Ticket to Ride Amsterdam. So Jason, why don't you tell him a little bit about Ticket to Ride Amsterdam? So Ticket to Ride Amsterdam is published by Days of Wonder. It is designed by Alan R. Moon. It is for two to four players, plays in 10 to 15 minutes because you're dealing with a much smaller map and it's for ages eight and above. So it is once again, a nice family style game, but one that you can get multiple plays in on a family game night during the week instead of maybe just one. Well, which is what we ended up doing. So we played, uh, we played one game, um, and then the people we're playing with said, "Hey, why don't we play another one?" And I think actually I liked one of their comments uh, that they made afterwards because these are people that have played Ticket to Ride uh, before the the traditional versions, the the traditional uh, longer version. And they said the fun part, and I have to agree about this, is that you can play multiple games, and you can make the winner of the evening the one that play- wins two out of three, let's say, uh, or the most number of game out of two or three or four games, however many you want to play, because it really is a lot quicker. And I personally um, think that this game fixes some of the uh, negatives that some people may have with the longer games because they can draw on for a long time. And this game uh, has some added mechanics that that uh, speed things up a little bit, as well as having a much smaller uh, map to uh, to populate. So what did you think? I mean, this you hated Europe. Uh, I still think that that's tarnished a little bit by the fact that we were playing with people who just could not make up their mind. But so the verdict's in. I'm just not a big Ticket to Ride fan. I didn't grow up with this game. And while Ticket to Ride Amsterdam does fix a lot of the issues I had with the game, it doesn't fix some of the big random issues. It actually, in my opinion, this shorter playtime really enhances a certain aspect of the game that I didn't realize could become a major problem, which are the routes and getting new routes. While you can still get new routes in Amsterdam, you often don't have time. And with the bonus cards that you can gain by claiming routes uh, that have the card symbol, in this case, it's like, do I take a chance of getting another route that's going to score me points or do I try to build up those bonus cards? So I, I really didn't like that. I think that there was a lot that fixed things I didn't like about the game, but that aspect, I think, just kind of threw it all out of whack. Because in one of the games, you got a really great route draw. And when we saw you put your roots together, I was like, man, these are going to be a lot of points. There were a lot more than I would have expected, actually, probably by, by about four points. And you just, you were definitely going to be in the top, like one or two, just because of your draw. Unless someone had straight up blocked you, which you don't really want to do in a quick game like this. And it can, but it can happen. It could definitely happen. It can definitely happen. But in the longer game that the chance to, like, you know, draw a new route, get new points and do something different. I just feel that the mechanic is very much left out of being something that's useful to do in these quick this quick version of the game. I would definitely. The one thing I will agree with you is to say that. Uh, in the short version, you definitely have to be a little bit more strategic. I think this was obvious. I w- we were playing in this these games because we were playing with experienced Ticket to Ride uh, players, and um, my the strategy 
uh, like my capacity to strategize that I've learned over uh, multiple years now of playing the different co-op games, but also all the different types of games that we play, I think made it easier for me to basically come to to maximize my point options and you know like to finish the game before anybody else had an opportunity to do anything else as well right no one well, that definitely happened in the first game the, the second game you were very much dealt a, a incredibly strong hand and you made sure that you ended up in the top and you did a very great job at, at doing that but we were definitely all playing from behind right at the start of the game and that's one of the things i really didn't like about the game so while it the speed and the pacing do improve to get to it because I just don't think the game is that interesting even like for an hour. It's just me personally. I prefer things that are a little more deterministic, but the game is still has a high random aspect. And you know me, I don't just, I don't really love random games and Ticket to Ride definitely has that big random quotient. So I, I just have to think that this game is not for me. Now I don't hate Amsterdam. I'd be willing to play London or um, New York, the other smaller ones, but this is cemented for me. I never really want to play a longer ticket to ride if I can avoid it. So if you're interested to hear more details in our longer review, you can check it out. It'll be coming out in a couple days. Uh, and otherwise, we would like to remind everybody to keep playing games. Hey everybody, my name is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I am absolutely thrilled that Cardboard Conjecture have asked me to join the fun of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter as SpiderMo, that's Spider with a Y if you like what you hear, and want to give me a follow for some board game thoughts, a bit of hockey, but mostly me complaining about random things. This week, I want to talk about a game that I recently got to the table, Obsession, which is self-published by Dan Halligan and Kayenta Games. Obsession is a game of pride, intrigue, and prejudice in Victorian England, as stated by the tagline under the game's title on the box. Players in Obsession represent families in Derbyshire, England, who have fallen on hard times, and their estates are in disrepair. However, a wealthy family has recently moved to the area with two eligible children who they are looking to wed opening the door for players to attempt to woo them to their family, bringing their considerable wealth and connections with them. Players will need to host activities and upgrade their estates in order to attempt to land the hand of one of these Fairchild children before the end of the game and the final courtship. Obsession is essentially a tableau-building game where players will choose an activity each round from one of their improvement tiles in front of them. Each player starts with five. Each activity may be used to host a specialized event, such as a game of whist in the front parlor, a guest recital in the music room, or even a charming picnic on the south lawn. Every activity has requirements, such as the servants that players must manage in order to host the event, and a number of gentry that are required in order to host a successful event. Gentry are your hand of cards that represent your family members and their acquaintances that they associate with. New gentry will be gained throughout the game, allowing players to host larger events. But each time they're used, the card is retired until a player takes a passing action, drawing all of their cards back into their hands. Knowing exactly when to pass in the game is essential, as players only have 12 actions in the game, and passing reduces that number by 1. 
Each gentry card will have some favors listed on them that allows players to earn money, prestige, or additional gentry due to their personal connections. And it's this synergy of favors that's the real meat to the game. Most gentry also require the attendance of one or more servants from your household. Some gentry are less desirable individuals, and while they can bring great bonuses to your family, their association alone can drop your reputation whenever they attend events. However, you may need to accept that loss in order to build your engine, especially in the early game. Every gentry has a historical photo on their card, and a little backstory about their past. The attention that Dan has put into making every guest feel unique from one another is a huge part of this game, as players are encouraged to introduce each new gentry when they gain them. Once an activity has been hosted, players will retire their gentry, rest their servants, and place the improvement tile back into their tableau. If it's the first time that a tile's been used, it's flipped to its backside, usually earning a player victory points for the end of the game as well as for upcoming courtships, and changing the event that can be hosted on it in future turns. Usually for the worse, because who really wants to go lawn bowling again after you've already been bored by Lord Chatwick's tales of his trip to the continent? Then, players will be able to renovate their estate by purchasing a new improvement tile from the builder's market with any of the money that they've accumulated. I think what I love most about Obsession is just how much theme there is in the game. Every card, tile, and servant in Obsession makes sense with how it's used. Like, for example, Sir Wallace Carter is said to have a mysterious secret, and there's a chance that each round it will be revealed, dropping the player's reputation dramatically. But until that happens, he brings additional wealth to your household. There's also Lady Alison Thatcher. She's a pauper, but is still well-connected, meaning that she can bring the attention of some prestigious guests to your family. But you do have to spend money each time that she attends an activity. The servants are varied, and players will need to hire and manage them to be successful. Many of the useful female gentry will request the use of ladies' maids to attend their needs, and many of the male guests will require a valet. Players can also hire an underbutler who can fill in for many of the other servants, and there's an expansion that adds some very useful servants to add to your household, such as the cook or the hallboy. The storytelling that can occur in the game is phenomenal, as players can actually develop each of these characters throughout the game. Now, Obsession was successfully kickstarted by Dan back in 2017 and was released about a year later. The initial Kickstarter was a moderate success, with about 650 backers taking a chance with Dan's passion project. It has become a bit of a cult hit among gamers, and another Kickstarter with more material was launched about a year after release. The game is in its second edition with some top-notch production quality. Each of the families is stored in their small little box with all of their starting materials inside, making setup quick and easy. The boards and the other components are really well produced, with the only exception to that being the bag that tiles are drawn from, although Dan has arranged for a replacement to be made available to players, with an upcoming small box expansion that he's actually selling at his own cost. The upstairs-downstairs expansion adds a ton of new material, including four new servant types, and a pile of additional cards and tiles for variability in future games. There's a bunch of variants in the game that players can use to change things up, including some rules for drafting uh, servants and gentry cards at the start of the game. 
There's also a very cool solo mode in the game, and a large variety of opponents of varying difficulty that players can go up against while playing solo. Now, I've played the game at one, two, and four player counts, and I've enjoyed each play immensely. I've taught the game to six different players, and each and every one of them has really enjoyed the gameplay. At, lo at lower player counts, I do encourage the extended game that adds a few more rounds, allowing players to utilize some of the better improvement tiles in the late game a little bit more. At four players, though, the extended game can drag a little bit, but it's not too bad with experienced players. Now, Obsession is currently out of print, but it does appear that new printings should be arriving to Dan in the very near future. The game can be ordered directly through his website for gamers in the States, and it's available at an exclusive online retailer in Canada. There's also limited availability in Europe, so and I'm sure that copies will sell out quickly once they are available again. Now, I've bought everything available for Obsession, and I don't regret that purchase one bit. Since the start of this year, I think I've played the game close to a dozen times. Most of those plays have been solo. It's replaced Terraforming Mars as my go-to solo game when I'm looking for something to fill my dining room table. So if you're looking for a Euro game with a lot of theme, I don't think you can go wrong with picking this one up if you get the chance. Anyone who's a fan of Downton Abbey or Jane Austen novels will absolutely adore this game. Now myself, I haven't seen or read any of those, and I still think it's an incredible game that I'm itching to play again soon. Once again, I'm Chris Morris. Thank you for listening to my thoughts about Obsession. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more from me, uh, I can be found on Twitter as SpiderMo. Thanks for listening, and may all your dice rolls be critical successes. Hey everybody, this is Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers community here in Saskatoon. And uh, I've got some games that I'd like to quickly touch base with you on that I played this week. Uh, and because a couple of them, I got to play games with my daughter. Yay! Um, uh, so let's uh, get to it. Um, one of Sophie's favorite games is Cockroach Poker. And somehow we managed to, there's a two-player version uh, where you take out 10 cards and you deal them all. Now, for quickly for those, uh, it's so quick to explain. Cockroach Poker, there are eight insect suits, and of those suits, there are eight cards. And uh, uh, two-player to, I think it's seven players. Um, what you do is you deal out all the cards, and on your turn... Uh, if it's your turn, you take a card out, you set it on the table, and you look at anybody at the table, and you say, this is a fly. And uh, at that moment, you have this uh, two options. Uh, if you're the one receiving the bluff, I guess, because it's a bluffing game, right? And uh, the, you either accept it, look at it, and pass it to the next person and see if you can bluff them with this card. If someone stops that bluff progress and calls you on it, they either say, yes, it is this, you know, or no, it's not. And when the card's flipped over, whoever loses the call has to take that card, put it in front of them in their tableau. And uh, it's basically not who wins the game, but who, who, 
who loses first? And uh, who loses first is a person who collects five of the same insect. And wow, this game, um, it, it's such a simple set. It's such a, a, a ru simple rule set that uh, you get into it right away with a group of people once they, you know, first round, you know, first card goes by and everyone dials that in right away. And it is so amusing to watch people either tell the, tell the truth and honestly tell the truth and their commitment to it or try and and uh, pull a fast one and um yeah I, this is good that sophie's playing with me so that i can see all her tells and she there was one time she put it down and said it's a so-and-so and i looked at her and went no it's not and she flipped it over and she goes you can see into my soul <laughs> Yay, <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, then the next thing we played that she uh, she really likes, and I'm I love this one too, is Quicks, um, a dice checker, rolling right. And uh, this one is probably, uh, I mean, we've this thing has seen some mileage with this family. This is our go-to uh, take it with us in a backpack or a suitcase game, and uh, it's yeah. Without getting too deep into it, it's a rolling right where you have. Uh, uh, Four different colored dice and uh, two common white dice, and you roll it. And the uh, um, the community dice uh, are used by everybody, and the person who rolls the dice has to use one of the community dice and a colored dice. And how it works is you make check marks from left to right, and you can never go backwards. And you're checking the numbers on the combinations of two to 12. And there's, there's a lot of really interesting choices to it. Uh, if, you, if you like this kind of game that, that's, you know, not too deep, but it's still engaging and fun and, and you know, it's a social experience, uh, yeah, pick it up. It's a fun game, absolutely. Um, two that I played for uh, on my own, soloing, because, you know, if I want to play games at home, I got a solo. So uh, Pavlov's House. I played that a lot this weekend because I did a review on the uh, podcast, the main show, Cardboard Conjecture. And uh, yeah, this one, uh, without getting too crazy into its description, it's a, it says one to three, but it's a solo game, right? Um, it's uh, David Thompson of the noted uh, Undaunted series, Normandy and North Africa. And I think War Chest, without uh, confirming this conjecture, right? Um, it uh, World War II, uh, Battle of Stalingrad. Uh, um, a soldier by the name of last name Pavlov uh, uh, took over a house in Stalingrad from the Germans, and it became a stronghold of that that uh, battle's uh, you know history and and uh, fame. So the way the, the mechanics work in that game, you know, in, in, synchro in synchronicity to the theme and, and what's going on, um, spoiler, I liked it a lot. Um, and then Cascadia, I think like a few others that I'm going to talk about here on our Facebook community page, uh, got my Cascadia Kickstarter and Yahoo! So Cascadia, um, is uh, AEG, and I think it's, um, uh, I'm, I'm looking around here for a second here. Flat Out Games? 
I'm so sorry if I uh, if I uh, mis- misread it. Um, but if you if you really enjoy Calico and that abstract puzzle solving, you are going to really love this one because uh, it takes that DNA of that tile pattern building connectivity. Um, and in Calico, it's all about the colors and the patterns. Uh, in this game, it's all about the um, ter- uh, the uh, uh, zones, forest, mountains. Um, I believe there's four or five zones. And the species. And there's five different species. And and uh, I I talked about this on our, our, our main show. And uh, it's kind of like... Uh, it's kind of like tiny towns. If you've played tiny towns where you have the buildings that you're trying to build, these cards, kind of the card, not market, but uh, uh, tableau objectives uh, or points, you know, for the game. In this case, uh, how each species has to be in a certain pattern on your terrain. Uh, it is so much fun. I was so engaged. I played probably four games back to back and went into that challenge mode, uh, very similar to Calico. So if you enjoy those, yeah, I quite, I quite encourage you to get yourself, uh, get yourself a copy or at least to just, uh, to try it out. So, um, and I had, as I'd mentioned on our Facebook community page, we have a thread every Wednesday. Uh, that's what you've been playing. So let's go to that right now. And first up is Eli, played, Ca- <laughs> there we go, Cascadia three times. See, I'm telling you, this is this is a fun puzzle, and it plays fast. Uh, he also played Sprawlopolis and Marvel Champions, Galaxies Most Wanted. I haven't gotten into that one yet. That sounds fun. Lane played uh, Mythalix about 12 times. He has kids, so that's probably what that is. Uh, a little more Black Orchestra, yay. I like that one. And Pandemic. So, uh, oh, and it says, it says, I have to click to see more. Marvel United. Running out of minis to paint. <laughs> Bring on the X-Men. Yep. Yep. That is, uh, they, he, uh, Lane showed me the, the, some of his minis that he painted. Well done. Kudos. Kudos to the painting. Hands. Terra Mystica. Barrage. Oh, that one interests me a lot. Project L, uh, yeah. Viscounts of the West Kingdom, the Shem Phillips series. Uh, I haven't played that one yet. I have the other two. Oh, he played my most favorite Euro, Hansa Teutonica. Yes, probably the most purest Euro of all. Yeah, I'll argue that with anybody. <laughs> uh, Glass Road, yeah, some Uwe. Rosenberg, Juicy Fruits, Circadian's First Light. That one totally interests me. I believe it's a dice worker placement kind of thing. Anything with dice I like because dice hate me. Whistle Stop and Everdell. That's a fantastic lineup. Cool. Tim uh, got in a game of Lords of Waterdeep. Yay. With the whole family. Nice. Uh, he also adds a long time since we... All sat down to play a game together. Oh, isn't that awesome? He's got a picture there. Yay. You gotta love family time. And also, new kill team. <laughs> Go from uh, one, one uh, pendulum swing to the other side. Right on. 
moving on. Chris, I played the Firefly board game and a couple rounds of digital version of Dresden Files. Card game. Dresden Files. I saw the TV series. That was kind of cool. Too bad it, it was like a one season and done kind of thing. Um, Jeff played two of his favorites, Everdale and Terra Mystica, as well as Glass Road for the first time, which I really liked. Yes, if you haven't played Glass Road, it's uh, Uwe Rosenberg's shorter and not, you know, not less you know, committed to decisions, but it, it's a faster one than most of his games. And uh, it, uh, it's still engaging. I, the, the wheel of how you develop resources to, to your raw materials is so cool how that works. Uh, it, it, it hurts the brain sometimes. Tyler. My group finally started King's Dilemma. Yay! You can keep us posted. I want to hear how... I have heard so many cool stories about that game. Only finished two games of it so far, but we're excited to see it progress. Of course. Tony played Cascadia. Yeah. Awesome. Garth on vacation and friends we stayed with introduced us to one of their favorite games, Lords of Waterdeep. Yay! Uh, it was one of the most fun times I have learned... Uh, had learning a game, uh, <laughs> and he finishes with winning help, too. <laughs> it always does, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, Marianne played Red Planet. Awesome. Cool. That one looks, you know, I'm just looking at the cover shot. That one looks really cool. Uh, Garth, another round of Dune Imperium at four players. Four players. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Um, got to try Between Two Cities. That's a fun one. And Machikoro for the first time. Fun light games. Not bad at two players. Hope to do them at four players soon. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, we all want to start play, playing board games at a higher player count with more friends. But uh, we're, I think we're, we're, we're so close Everyone's, uh, I think the last thing people want to associate uh, uh, waves with is, uh, is isolation and pandemic. And so um, we just, yeah, we just have to be patient and we have to play safe. And uh, you know that we'll get there soon. Totally, totally we'll get there soon. And it'll mean so much more. <laughs> so that being said, thank you so much to uh, the... Uh, content creator collaborators who always contribute such awesome content and always thank you to you for listening all this way through and that being said again i gotta say something different than that being said <laughs> well as i always say uh keep your stick on the ice and take care out there eh? <laughs>